Welcome to Product Leaders Podcast, a podcast by FireArt Studio. We delve into the world of product leadership to help empower you to improve end user experience. I'm your host, Dima Wenglinski. Welcome back, listeners, to the special second part and conclusion to Dima's chat with Aniket. Now listen in as Dima and Aniket dig deeper into the customer experience. How are you leveraging customer data and feedback? Yeah, so we do a few different things. We have multiple channels to gather this feedback. And depending on the channel, we do slightly different things, but we do act on this feedback. It's very important to us. We have direct communication and conversations with our fans. Like I've personally been in stadiums and watched and observed people as they go through the line or even talk to them about, hey, you're standing in line. How about like ordering the same thing from your phone? And while they're doing that, standing next to me, almost like observing what they're doing and asking them, why did you do something like this? What do you think about the experience? Was that what you were expecting to happen? How did you make the choice to go with this instead of that, right? And that provides a lot of qualitative feedback that's point in time, that's as the users are using it. And I would say it almost never gets better than actually something like that. So that's one avenue. And of course, as I mentioned, we have our customer success and our operations team that's at stadiums quite a bit. And that's another channel that feeds back pretty consistently to our product process as well. And the third one, of course, is the one that most product managers will be familiar with. We have a good analytics stack that's continuously monitoring what's happening in terms of our users going through the ordering process and do they drop off by after they leave things in their cart or do they actually go ahead and place the order? And then there's also a quantitative aspect, which is you get a survey and users do take that survey and they will be sometimes very vocal about what they liked and what they didn't like about the product. They'll provide us a rating and we use that to calculate the metrics on our end about whether something is going well, something is not going well. Even to the point of not just whether you like this or you don't like this, we'll even ask specific questions about things like the order wait time. Like, was the order wait time accurate? Are you satisfied with the order wait time? And we use that to improve our algorithm, which is already self-learning, but we use that as a way to go and make sure that there's always a feedback loop from each of these channels that goes back into our product and our planning process. There's another piece as well that we use. So creating a product for people that might have different dietary restrictions is also important, right? So we are a part of our, not exactly analytics, but a part of our product involves the customer being able to select things like, all right, I don't want to see things that are gluten-free or that are gluten-free rather. And then we'll actually update the UI so that you can actually see that. Is it possible for you to spoil what analytics stack do you use? So we actually use multiple different solutions depending on the need, right? The survey and the calculation of metrics, that's something that, of course, we build. But we also use for user-facing analytics, we use Mixpanel. And then we have another product that we use. So 
part of this analytics and part of a value proposition to our operators is we share this information with them and we share these insights with them. It's not just that we're keeping this. We actually want the teams and the stadiums to benefit from this information as well, whether it is improving operational efficiencies or point in time knowing when something isn't going well. And we use a product called Verb to build dashboards that are embedded inside of our partner portal that our stadium partners can use in practically real time to see how things are going across the entire stadium. That's cool. So you prefer Mixpanel, right? Whether you try Amplitude for your product, whether it works for you, or you just used to use Mixpanel? At the moment, we're using Mixpanel. We've tried it. It works great for the use cases that we have. But again, always exploring and always willing to try different tools and, and see which one works well. Okay, got it. I'm always curious how people are tend to change software. I mean, not software like Slack, which is easy to replace, but software that is deeply integrated into the product. As a CPO, what is your direct influence on organizational growth and hiring? Yeah, so I'll separate those into two different parts, right? From a growth perspective, first of all, we do have a chief growth officer, somebody who focuses purely on growth. His name is Peter, really great guy. From a product perspective, though, there are new revenue streams that we can always create. So I won't spoil too much of what is cooking in our kitchen at the moment, but there are additional ways that we can help stadium partners by creating a new product that does not exist in the manner that we are envisioning it. And that'll further enable fans or customers at a stadium to further streamline their order and checkout processes. And it's new lines of product like that that we see, even if a stadium partner might not be interested in mobile order solution, or maybe they already have a mobile order solution, or for one reason or another, that's not interesting to them. This new solution that we're building will be interesting to them. And that gives us the opportunity then to also see, all right, what other places have similar problems and we can solve that at scale. And that starts then set a chart for, all right, that looks like a viable business idea and something that we can use to grow our product and our business as a whole. Another thing that I briefly mentioned earlier was the ability for people to send each other food and drink as gifts, whether they are in the same location, whether they might even be in a completely different country, continent, but still being able to participate in something that's like a celebration, or maybe it's a thank you gift that you want to send somebody. For us, we see that as a big avenue for growth because there's Quite honestly, nothing like that out there. You can send somebody a gift card for sure, but being able to, like, let's say you went to a craft brewery, you liked a specific beer, maybe it was a Pilsner, and you wanted your best friend to try it. Wouldn't it be great if you can just say, all right, I just send my friend a Pilsner because I really like this beer and I want my friend to try it. And providing a nice experience, both as the gift sender as well as the gift receiver. And innovating and solving those kinds of problems and creating something that does not exist in the manner that we're creating it is definitely a great avenue for growth for our business. Then we can even walk into restaurants where they might not 
need or they already have a mobile order pay solution, but they don't really have a gifting solution. And we are going to be that gifting solution. So now we're opening doors to conversations with new partners that weren't available before. So that's on the business and the growth side. The other part of your question was on the hiring. So as we look at all of these new products and lines, it's obvious that you need potentially new people, new talent, people with expertise in these areas to help build these products, right? Or you're saying maybe we don't do things that we're already doing. And of course, that's not something we want to do. We're happy and we love doing what we're doing. So that does mean that we need to go onboard new talent. And so far, we've been really fortunate at doing that. And as the chief product officer, I do make recommendations and I'll We'll have conversation. It's a mutual decision that happens at the leadership level at Check. whether it's, all right, we need maybe a new product manager and maybe a few more engineers. Maybe we need a couple more people working on the operations side, those kinds of conversations. It's, we have a discussion internally and we go ahead and execute whatever we agree upon. Okay, got it. So you mentioned gifts that people can send a drink to each other. Side question. So let's say I like the idea of your app. After our call, I download check and I only know your name and surname. Can I send you a drink with this information? Absolutely. The short answer is absolutely you can. So we implemented the first version that we implemented required you to know somebody's phone number. And that was a way that we were able to find who you are, reach you. What we do today, like we connected on LinkedIn, we've connected on email, right? So what we've enabled is you can go pick a place, pick something that they sell. It's a beer, glass of wine, could be a dessert. And really, once you say, all right, I want to send this gift, you pick a nice car to go with it. You have a nice message that goes with it. And ultimately, we embed all of that inside a URL, that you can then send a link that you can send to anybody. So effectively, in a nutshell, you could up-level this and say what we've created is a link to a gift. Like we've created a digital link to a physical object. Like if you send me that link on LinkedIn chat or on an email, I can go accept that and I can go to the place and get that physical object, which was the gift. Sounds good. What is the best and the worst part of your job? You know, I was at a stadium and there was this older gentleman that was waiting in line to use a self-order kiosk to order something. And I got talking to him and I told him that, hey, you could do the same thing from your phone, right? And you don't have to wait in line. You could just be at your seat. Mm -hmm. And this person looked hesitant, but I said, you're already in line. Just give it a go. You don't like it. No problem. And so he tried it. And he absolutely loved it. He was still kind of hesitant. He was like, okay, it tells me my order is ready already. Okay, so uh, skipped the line, went and picked up his food and beer. And I was like, okay, that looks really good. Like, I like that experience. And then sometime later, I saw the same gentleman come in, pick a beer and walk back again. And then I saw the same gentleman come back sometime later, a third time and pick another beer. And then he noticed me and he walked up to me and he said, hey, your product, I love it. It's great because now I don't have to get up from my seat. I can just be seated there. And it takes me literally two minutes. I walk back, pick up my beer and I walk back to my seat. 
And he was so excited. He said, I told that to all of my friends. Moments like those are very easily, I would say, the best part of my job. Like I, you couldn't pay to be rewarded in a manner like that. It's very rewarding as a product person to see that all of the innovation that you do, all of the conversations and whiteboarding and like wireframing and, and talking about whether something should be this way or that way, it pays off in the end because you're solving a real problem for people and are helping them enjoy the reason that they were at a particular location. So I'd say like that's very easily the best part of my job. And the hard part of my job, I would say, is really juggling the million different things with a million different priorities. And it's the sheer complexity of all of this is astounding when I pause and I think about it, right? So we're innovating on multiple fronts. We're innovating on the hardware side and we're making changes with things like firmware and operating system and then we start to talk about the application that runs on that piece of hardware and then all of the changes that happen and innovation on the backend side. Like I mentioned, we have a self-learning algorithm that predicts the order wait time in real time based on how orders are fulfilled, how many people might be at a concession stand. And as a result, if it takes 15 seconds to fill an order with a bottle of water, or it takes 30 seconds to fill that order. And then you tack on an additional layer of users that are similar, but like divergent needs, like the restaurant operators, as well as the stadium operators. By the way, the way that we've been doing that is... You can't be everything to everybody for sure, but what you can do is you can create configuration options so that you can satisfy multiple needs with the same product. And so we have a pretty robust portal that lets you configure the experience that you as the operator have and that your fans in turn will have. For example, on the restaurant side, you don't care, like you're not a high volume place like a stadium is, so you might care about different things. So you can turn certain things on, configure things a little bit differently. In the end, though, that's still a ton of complexity for us to think about. And we take on that burden really happily and willingly because we want to solve all of those tough problems so our customers and their fans don't have to deal with that. That becomes, I would say, a really hard part of my job, juggling all of that and also keeping track of incoming user feedback, the new thing that we put out there, it's working, it's working in some scenarios, it's not working in some scenarios. Now, why is it not working in some scenarios? It seems like it should work just the same. And then pulling the thread until you finally figure out why it doesn't like that sheer complexity, I would say, is really challenging, but I'm happy with that challenge. It's rewarding in its own way. Yeah, I totally understand you at C-level position. And I talk with a lot of people from senior management, and I hear juggling word a lot, <laughs> to be honest. So I totally understand what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely, Dima. I agree with you. Like, if you're the kind of person that enjoys a challenge and you love to explore new things, you're really curious. And on the other hand, if you build a platform for people in your organization to do their best work, that gets a little easier and that also gets a lot more fun 
first finding good talent. And then once you have that talent on board, empowering them to make decisions and coming to you with ideas and solutions and you're kind of facilitating them and helping them and coaching and guiding them in the process does make it a lot simpler, I would say. So that's been my experience. And I've been fortunate to have a great set of product people at Check, And that's what makes it fun and exciting. What is one mistake you've made that taught you the most? I will be vulnerable here and I'll share something about a mistake that I made. And it was, <laughs> it was earlier on in my career. So the notion of like, you can build great products by thinking about scenarios and putting together a brilliant design. There's almost, there's a quote, and I think it's misattributed to Henry Ford. And the quote goes, if I would have asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said, I want a faster horse, right? And of course, Henry Ford was in the business of producing and selling cars. In either case, the quote is misattributed, misused. And I, earlier in my career, was like, yeah, customers might not be privy to all of the things that technology can possibly do. And so I'm going to go in, like my team is going to go in, we're all going to go in and we're going to solve this problem. We're going to think about amazing solutions. We're going to innovate. We're going to think about amazing designs. And then we walk in and we're going to look like champions. It's going to be great, right? And then I pretty soon realized that that's not right. Customers might not know what's technically possible. Your users might not know or even be able to articulate what their pain points are, but they know where it hurts, right? They know what their pain is. And that's something that they really get. And I think to reframe that quote, it's not about talking to customers what they want. It's talking to them about what are their pain points? What are their goals? What are their dreams and aspirations? What is it that they're trying to solve? Where do they see their career going? Where do they see their role going? Where do they see things going on, even in their family life, if you will, if that matters to the product that you're working on? And once you understand that problem deeply, then you realize that what you want to do is you want to co-create with them. And that was the learning for me out of that entire mindset. And fundamentally, I realized like the mindset that I have was not helping me build the right set of products. It wasn't helping me be as effective. And so I reframed my own way of thinking. And now I am on this notion where I think the best thing that you can do is you can co-create with your customers. Give them a seat at your table. That does not mean that your customers tell you and you immediately run and like your customers say, I want a button that does X. You immediately go back and say, all right, put a button here that does X, right? But it does mean giving them a seat at the table to participate in something like a prioritization discussion. Like, all right, tell me more about why you're so passionate about something like this and then go deeper into understanding the problem. I've used this a lot since I learned this lesson and since I made that mistake early on. And with my time at Microsoft and even especially now with my time at Check, like our operators actually have a seat at the table and we seek actively their input on our roadmap as well as working with our restaurant partners. So do not build the products from your own head, but ask customers what they need, right? I totally agree. 
Yeah, I'd say co-create with them, like help bring them to the table, involve them in your process. And here's the cool thing that happens when you do that, that I learned that I actually did not anticipate in the beginning. It becomes easy for everybody else in the organization to do their job in the sense that you're not swimming against the current. It becomes easy for on the sales side to see what really worked for this customer, like what were they excited about when we built this thing? And all right, now I have these customers that look like have the same problem. And so if you have this case study, it becomes easy to market, it becomes easier to sell, it becomes easier to message as a result. It becomes this organic process that kind of grows and evolves over time. I totally agree. I recently made the same mistake. I love my mistakes. I embrace them. They make me smarter sometimes. So I totally agree. It's very essential when you build products. You may think that you know the problem. You may think that you know how the solution would look like, but this is probably wrong. Yeah. You'd be lucky when you start, like they want to know you're in the general area, right? And this has happened so many times where you think that that's the problem. And then once you start digging into it, you realize like that's just the symptom. That's not actually the core problem. And sure, you could build a solution for that symptom, but that won't address the core problem. And I would say like the part that really helps you differentiate then is if you go at a deeper level to understand the core problem, you can create differentiated products that then start to win in the market. And if you have like 100 units of time, I am now at a point where I would say 70 units of that time should be spent on understanding that problem. And once you really, really understand that problem deeply, then it becomes easier. You're not swimming against the current to build a solution and convince people to try out your solution. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. We almost run out of time. I have only one last question to you. In the world of digital products, who would you most like to take to lunch? So when I joined Microsoft, Steve Ballmer was a CEO, and then eventually Satya Nadella came in and he was a CEO. When I joined, I still remember some of the stock that I got was valued at $17 at the time. And eventually, over a few years, it went more than 10x that, right? And for a decades-old company to do that, have that kind of growth has been mind-blowing. And I've been there experiencing the change that wasn't just, let's go build new stuff. It was, hey, the way that we operate as a company, not just at a quarterly basis, but on a day-to-day basis, changed. Like we talked about mistakes. Like you said, you love mistakes and you learn from your mistakes. Satya brought in this notion that come in with a growth mindset. Like, it's okay for all of us to be vulnerable. It's okay to make mistakes. What's important is that we learn and we all grow, like, as people from them. And he's brought in a ton of changes, and I've always admired that. It's not just that the stock price went up, and that's great, of course, but it's that the fundamental change in the way that the company and people at the company think and operate on a day-to-day basis 
at Microsoft, we had these, uh, even in conference room, we had these signages about like, let's make this a growth mindset meeting. And they heard a couple of things that you could do. Like it really went next level into bringing in that like mindset and cultural change. So yeah, I'd love to have that kind of a lunch with uh, Satya and talk to him about how that journey went and how did he go about making those changes and uh, what are some of the other changes that he is thinking about for the future? This is extremely funny because he is my guy as well. (laughs) (laughs) Believe me or not, we have once on different podcasts, my guest asked me who would I invite and I answered that it would be Satya Nadella for the same reasons that I haven't saw by my eyes inside, but I saw it from outside, like the stock market and the number of changes, how he came in and he disrupted the market with the AWS. I mean, it existed before him, right? But he nurtured it and then the whole office package changed from some strange programs on your computer to cloud services as well. I mean, it's incredible. I've never seen such change in big corporations probably in my life. I agree. Absolutely agree. And it's not just like the the stock price is an indicator of the value that the company brings in. And it's an indicator of what the world thinks the future lies for Microsoft, right? And turning that huge ship around and getting people actually excited is no easy task. So I wholeheartedly agree with you and let's make a deal. If uh, either of us does get that opportunity with Satya, we'll include the other one. Yes, in agreement. (laughs) Totally, totally. I'll pin him on LinkedIn, maybe. (laughs) Okay, thank you very much. It was great to have you. It was very interesting conversation. And I hope we'll pink each other somewhere tomorrow or the day after tomorrow about Satya, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's a deal on my end. Thank you again, Dima. It's been a pleasure chatting with you during this time. Likewise. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Product Leaders Podcast is brought to you by FireArt Studio. I was the host, Dima Wendlinski. To find out more about FireArt and how we aim to build a brand that will contribute to the world with useful products that empower people and make their lives easier, visit fireart.studio. Search for product leaders in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you never miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at FireArt Studio, thank you very much for listening.